It is a statement many people have heard. Satisfaction guaranteed or money back. Satisfaction guaranteed or money back. Let me ask you this question. How many truly satisfied people do you know? How many truly contented people do you know? Satisfaction or contentment might be one of the most elusive characteristics in anybody's life. Maybe at best, satisfaction or contentment is momentary. It's a momentary experience rather than a characteristic that's a big part of our lives. When we think of our God, words that should immediately come to our mind include words like contentment and satisfaction. How do you speak about a psalm that is so well known that most of the people that will hear the lesson know it by heart? How do you speak about a passage that is so well known that a number of people in the pew may know it considerably better than the preacher? How do you talk about a passage that consists of only six verses and yet tells us so much about the relationship that we can have with God. I'm talking about Psalm chapter 23. If you look at Psalm 23, no less than 12 times God is referred to. No less than 12 times. So this psalm is all about God. That type of uh, conclusion is warranted by the text itself, God's Word itself. But that's not all. When you look at Psalm 23, 17 personal pronouns are used by the psalmist. 17! If you want to put the two together, Psalm 23 is about God and I, my God and I, and the contentment I have because of my relationship with Him. What's Psalm 23 all about, Milton? It is about my God and I and the contentment I have because of my relationship with Him. Because of His provision. Now the idea is really important to get. Hey Jared, Psalm 23.1 does not begin with the Lord is my King. But He is. Because in a way that seems out of proportion. He's above and beyond us. Well that's not what the psalmist is wanting to get across here. He doesn't say, on the other hand, that the Lord is my fortress or the Lord is my rock. God is our king, 
Daryl, he is our fortress and he is our rock, but fortress and rock can sound kind of impersonal. But when you think about the term that he uses, the shepherd. Steve, the shepherd. The shepherd is everything to the sheep, whether the sheep realizes that fully or not. A shepherd's everything to the sheep. We go to the New Testament to see the idea of God as shepherd expanded. It's mentioned a number of times in the Old Testament. Most notably in Zechariah 13 verse 7 when it talks about the shepherd being struck or smitten and the sheep being scattered. Interestingly enough, Philip in his Lord's Supper meditation alluded to that from Matthew 26 earlier in our service. But it's when we come to the New Testament we see Jesus as the shepherd. Turn in your Bibles briefly to John 10. In John 10, notice verses 11 and 14. John 10, verse 11 and verse 14. Jesus is the good shepherd. Mark it. And maybe even jot down, see Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd, our Lord. Turn, if you will, to Hebrews 13 and verse 20. Hebrews 13, verse 20. Jesus is the great shepherd. The great shepherd of God's people. He's good. He's great. The writers of the New Testament cannot say enough about how content and satisfied they are in our shepherd, Jesus Christ. Can you? We shouldn't be able to say enough about how awesome our shepherd is. Turn, if you will, to 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 25... Jesus is called the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Do you see it? Go over just a couple of more chapters. 5 verse 4. 1 Peter 5 verse 4. He is the chief shepherd. He is great and he is good. The New Testament expands on this concept of God as shepherd and really focuses in on a glorious thing that Jesus is the good and the great and chief shepherd who provides everything that we need for us to have a relationship with God. Satisfaction guaranteed. And how content we all should be. You know, contentment is something that has to be learned. Philippians 4.11, Paul would write, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. It's not easy sometimes. The whole theme of Psalm 23 is right there in verse 1 that Brian read. 
the Lord. If you were to look up the term in the original language, you would see Yahweh. You would see that the God of Israel, the God who made the promises to Abraham, the God who has seen Israel through so much at that point in time, The Lord is my shepherd. He's a personal shepherd. Even if he is not someone else's shepherd, if they do not acknowledge Jesus as the shepherd that they follow, who feeds them, who protects them, even if people don't acknowledge that, won't follow the lead of the great shepherd he's still mine and what's more he can be yours too David sounds so much in Psalm 23 1 like Paul in Galatians 2 20 who loved me and gave himself for me the shepherd did that for the sheep The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not... What's the next word? I shall not? Thank you. First of all, that's a declaration. That because Jesus is his shepherd, the Lord is his shepherd, he will not lack anything that he really needs. Psalm 84 and verse 11, God is our sun and shield. No good thing will uh, will be lacked by the one who walks uprightly. It's found in Deuteronomy 2 verse 7 where God says, I was with you for 40 years, Israel, when you were wandering in the wilderness. And even in that time you lacked no good thing. Deuteronomy 2 verse 7. If that was true of God's people then, how much more true will it be of God's people now that the shepherd has come, lived among us, and has gone to the cross and is at God's right hand? Think about that. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, Kirk, when you're reading this psalm, when you're thinking about it, look at it from three different angles. Consider first God the shepherd. If God is the shepherd, what are we out of necessity? And while it's kind of sweet, it's not altogether flattering, is it? When I think of a sheep, I think of them in 3D. 3D. Dumb, dependent, and defenseless. We think we are so smart sometimes, don't we? Only to find out we were not as smart as we thought. Dependent. We think of ourselves as being independent. And yet we cannot supply the air we breathe or the water we drink or that grows the crops that we live by. We think of ourselves as being people who can defend their set themselves. Us and Smith and Wesson.
The people of God must understand that he is the shepherd. And he is everything to the sheep. He is our leader. And it's his mind that we're interested in. He is the one who is our defender. And there comes a time when we cannot defend ourselves. He is the one upon whom we depend and we recognize we cannot be independent and exist apart from Him. So you look at the psalm, Adam, from the perspective of God. And then you look at it from the perspective of us as sheep. But a third perspective to consider the psalm from is that of what God provides. What God provides for His sheep. I want us to look at three characteristics of God and His provision for His sheep. Look, if you will, at the first section. God provides all we really need. That's going to be especially verses 1 through 3. God provides all that we really need. Not only can, can the psalmist make that declaration, I will not lack anything that's good. He has made that decision in God, in the good shepherd, I find all that I really need. All the riches of wisdom and knowledge are found in Him. Colossians 2, 3. We are complete in Him. Colossians 2, 10. He is our all in all. Colossians 3, verse 11. And notice what He provides. After saying that He provides all that we would need and we don't lack anything, He says this. He provides nourishment. It is the picture of peace and tranquility. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Been a long time, but every now and then, Sheree and I would go to the Corgill bread, the bed and breakfast out near the creek. Green pastures and still waters. It is a very peaceful, tranquil experience. And sometimes you can just see a beautifully painted portrait or a photograph. And you see that green meadow and you see that water. And I'm thinking, man, I sure like to be fishing there. Or something like that. That would be so peaceful and so wonderful. My wife's thinking I'd like to have a book and a lawn chair that I could just sit back and read and enjoy the peacefulness of it all. You know what? Don't forget, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. Sheep need to want to lie down. 
And you know what? There are things that keep sheep from lying down. What keeps you awake at night? What keeps you from a good night's sleep? What keeps you from peace and tranquility? Fear will keep a sheep from laying down. If they're worried about predators, they're going to stay on the feet. Does fear keep you awake at night? Sometimes it does all of us, doesn't it? How about friction? If there is problems in the flock, if there are problems in the flock, friction can keep sheep from lying down. Is there friction or trouble in your life, adversity that you're dealing with that's kind of keeping you up? He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He deals not just with the friction and the trouble. He deals with our fears. The shepherd's going to take care of that. I trust him. How about flies and parasites? You know, sometimes you'll see sheep and the flies are getting all around them and they can be kind of troublesome. Irritating? Parasites? Are the flies and the parasites gnawing on your insides and keeping you up? The flies and parasites of life. Man, things that keep sheep up are some of the same things that they keep us awake, aren't they? He makes me to lie down in green pastures. When I trust the shepherd, despite my fears and despite the friction and trouble and despite the flies and the parasites, despite all of the things in life that can keep me up, when I look to him for peace and tranquility, I can have it. Because that's how the shepherd works. Even in cancer, we are so glad you got a great report. We are so glad that you got a great report. But the shepherd sees us through whether we get a good report or not one. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. You see, he provides nourishment, food. Jesus is the bread of life. John 6, 35 through 48. He's not just giving us the food that's on our table, as marvelous as that is. He's given us spiritual substance to chew. He's given us spiritual water to drink. John 4, 14, living water, the waters of life. John 7, 31 through 37. He provides all we need, nourishment, literally and spiritually. He provides all that we need. Look at the next expression. He restores my soul. He renews me. When I am tired, when I am weak, when I am spent and used up, He restores my soul. 
I believe that the Lord often restores our body, but I'm way more thankful that He restores our souls. Aren't you? The law of the Lord is perfect. Converting the soul, Psalm 19 and verse 7. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, Jesus said, and I will give you what? Rest. There is the picture of peace and tranquility, of satisfaction and contentment. It's found in Him. He provides nourishment. He provides restoration. And notice the next expression. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. He leads. He nourishes. He restores. Oh, the provision of our great shepherd, God. He leads me. Maybe we don't enjoy that as much or think enough about it. Maybe we've spent so much time in the paths of unrighteousness that we haven't paused enough to thank God for the paths of righteousness that we can walk. And once we think about that and how precious it is and how contenting, how contenting it is, satisfying it is, it makes all the difference. In the paths of righteousness, He leads me. God will not lead His sheep astray. God will never lead His sheep astray. And if you have gone astray, it hasn't been because you were following God, just the opposite. For His namesake. Remember that expression because it's really important. He leads me to green pastures. He leads me to still waters. He leads me to peace and tranquility and satisfaction and contentment and to righteousness because that is what He's all about for His name's sake. For His name's sake. The God who provides. The God who gives tranquility and peace. The God who is righteous does all of this because he's the shepherd. He cares for the sheep for his name's sake. That brings me to a second main characteristic. The shepherd provides all we need. Secondly, look at verses 4 and 5. The shepherd protects us wherever we are. I love this part of the psalm. 
The shepherd protects us in every life circumstance. Wherever we are, he protects us. And now notice how this psalm, which is so tranquil and peaceful, Brian, all of a sudden kind of doesn't about face. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. From green pastures and still waters and the paths of righteousness to the valley of the shadow of death. That's quite a contrast, wouldn't you say? There can be no valleys without mountains and hills. I'm king of the hill. I'm queen of the hill. I'm on top of the mountain. Down in the valley. The valleys of life. But there can be no valley without mountains and hills. There can be no darkness without there being light, Kyle. And there can be no death, the valley of the shadow of death. There can be no death without there being life. I love the expression, valley of the shadow of death. It sounds precarious. It sounds like a ginormous problem, a trouble. One of those things we don't know how we're ever going to make it through. The shadow of a rattlesnake can't bite you. The shadow of a sword can't cut you. And the shadow of death can't destroy you. The valley of the shadow of death. And the next two expressions are priceless. By the way, notice what he says. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You see that? That little word through, mark it. I'm so glad that we don't always live in the valley of the shadow of death. Some people, you think they would if you talk to them. We walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Our life consists of peaks, of mountains and hills, and of valleys. And for many of us, the hills and the mountains are more plentiful than the valleys. Yes, I know there are some people that know deep valleys, real valleys. They might call it Death Valley, and it's hard to make it. Though I walk through. I don't have to stay there. I don't have to live there. I don't have to abide there. It's not going to be my eternal home there. Our momentary light affliction works for us a far more great and exceeding weight of glory. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 through 18. He goes on to say, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, here's the two priceless matters. I will fear no evil. For you are with me. For you are with me. 
for you are with me. I will fear no evil. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. 1 John 4, 4. If God be for us, who can be against us? Romans 8, 31. And see the beautiful balance of the passage. God doesn't remove all valleys from our life, but He promises to walk with us. Indeed, He walks ahead of us. And so I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Then He speaks of the rod and staff. The rod would be used for defensive purposes. The staff would be used for control. To bring back to the fold. Both might be ways in which God disciplines the rod and the staff. What does he say about God's rod and staff? Your rod and your staff, they what? That's exactly right. Do I view God's correction and God's control of events as a blessing, as a comfort? Some of us have real problems trusting anyone. Maybe we have control issues. We would like to be in control. But the fact is, this psalm beautifully expresses what we already know in our heart of hearts. Nobody really is in control except God. And when we trust the shepherd, blessing awaits. And you talk about green pastures, still waters, and paths of righteousness. You prepare a table before me. That sounds good. God's given thought to this. When God gives thought to something, you know it's going to be a good banquet. You prepare a table. That's fellowship. That's a family feeling. That's togetherness. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I can't think of a better way to describe how life often is. Our gracious God blesses so abundantly here in this world. Even our enemies are around and can see it. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Who prepares the table? It's your house. Who sets the table? I suspect in most homes, the lady does. Sometimes I try to help out and set the table. Don't always get things where they belong. Proper placement. But I know this, when God sets the table, the placement is always proper. And the feast is always sumptuous. And it's more satisfying and contentment giving than anything. You anoint my head with oil. It soothes. It feels good. 
I guess the best thing we could do to liken it uh, to a nice shower, a colder shower on a hot day or a nice warm shower when it's been cold outside. It's soothing and refreshing. You anoint my head with oil and then my cup runs over. I have never known another human being who could not say my cup runs over. There are some of us that can say our cup runs over and over and over. It overflows. But let me ask you this question and listen please. If God filled your cup just according to the proportion of your faith in Him and trust in Him as your shepherd, how full would your cup be? Some of us would kind of be looking at a few drops, wouldn't we? A few drops in our cup. Because we really don't trust Him. But when the sheep learns to trust the shepherd, it makes all the difference. And we see our cups overflow. They run over. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Ephesians 1.3 God spared not his son. Will he not also freely give us all things in him? Romans 8.32 Finally. This third characteristic. Look at verse 6. God, the shepherd, provides all we ever want. He protects us in the presence of trouble and death and our enemies. But he provides all that we ever could want in this life. Verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Get the picture. The shepherd's leading the way. God, you're following the shepherd, Jesus. And then you have God's goodness and mercy behind you. There you are sandwiched between God himself and God's goodness and mercy. That's about the safest place you could possibly be in all the world. Amen? His goodness and mercy. His loving kindness and goodness behind us. His wisdom and insight and knowledge before us. He leadeth me, O blessed thought, O words with heavenly comfort fraught, where'er I go, where'er I be, still tis God's hand that leadeth me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Here, and then notice the hereafter. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
the psalm begins with the fact that we can have peace and contentment and tranquility now and it ends with peace and tranquility and contentment forever in the presence of God in eternity. The house of the Lord forever. Take the first three words of Psalm 23, 1. The Lord is. Take the last three words of Psalm 23, 6. The Lord forever. The Lord is the Lord forever and we can be content and satisfied with that truth. It'll get us home. She was a very sweet Christian lady and she developed a debilitating disease. And her favorite passage in all of Scripture was 2 Timothy 1.12. I know whom I believed and am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And as the disease started to take its course, that very cheerful, uh, full of laughter, joyful, peace-knowing sister in Christ lost the ability to walk lost the ability to speak, lost the ability to move her hands. She lost a lot of her ability. But every now and then you could be with her and still hear her say, Him. She couldn't put together a sentence. If the life that we live here on earth comes to an end and we have nothing, nothing other than him he is enough because he will get us to where we live with him forever let the church say amen a God who supplies all we could ever need who protects us in every place we could ever go in life, and a God who provides all we could ever want for the rest of our life, goodness and mercy, and the leading of the shepherd and home. I will dwell in the house of the Lord for a day. That's not what he says, is it? I will dwell in the house of the Lord for a week. I will dwell in the house of the Lord for a month. Not so with our shepherd. He says, I don't want you to just come and go. I want you to come and stay forever with me. And that is the moment we should all be waiting for with joy. If you're not a Christian, come to the shepherd. Admit that you're not the smartest person in the room. Admit that you are a person who needs help. You're not sufficient. 
that you cannot defend yourself against everyone and everything. You need one bigger and greater. And through faith, repentance, confession, and baptism, one has their sins washed away, can be added to the church, and is committing themselves to following the shepherd wherever he goes. And for those of us that may have wandered away, or as Christians, it's the season of our discontent. Shame on us. If you've wandered away from this shepherd, it's time to come back. And we would be ready to pray with you and for you humbly because it can happen to us, any of us. But you can come home and you need to. And for those of us who have been less than content and satisfied... Jesus smiles and says, you know what? Satisfaction's guaranteed. Let us stand and sing.